You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the Gospels of Matthew, chapter 24, and Luke, chapter 3. Matthew 24, verse 42. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Luke 3, verse 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachinitis, and Lysanias, the ruler of Abinli, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God for the word of God, for the people of God. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Delaney. <clears throat> let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> As Pastor Megan has already shared, our theme for Advent is Christmas traditions, and so over the course of the next few weeks, you'll hear from a variety of people sharing about their different Christmas traditions, Um, like, for example, mine. On Christmas Eve, uh, since the time I was a child till now, we spend all night at church on Christmas Eve. (laughs) But then we wake up in the morning at my parents' house, and my mom makes us Egg McMuffin breakfast sandwiches so that we can eat our sandwiches while we open presents and not have to Uh, eat breakfast and the great anticipation that we have of opening gifts. So that's a lot of fun. Of course, another tradition that we have is our open house. This is something that um, I grew up, my mom always had an open house for the church the Friday night before Christmas, and we would have all kinds of people come in, and my friends would come in. I would come home um, from college and to that night, and it was always just a really special time that um, I looked forward to. And now, We do that as a uh, family, um, and I I just really look forward to preparing for that and having you all in our home. Another tradition that I have loved but I miss since the start of streaming is the anticipation of the Christmas TV special. It's only on once during December, or at least that's how it was when I was a kid, There was no way to record it then or to watch it on your VCR or your DVD player or whatever you had DVR'd it or anything like that. You just look forward to that night. Now, how did you know when it would be on? The TV Guide guide, or the newspaper or the commercials. 
all of things we don't use anymore. <laughs> but it was a tradition, and I looked forward to it, uh, to Charlie Brown, to Frosty the Snowman, to Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and of course, the Grinch who stole Christmas. I loved the Grinch. The 1966 version, though, I'm not a fan of all of the new movies that have come out the past few years. I just like the classic. You know the story. The Grinch has a very small heart, and he hates Christmas. And he lives up in a cave where he looks down on the town of Whoville, and they love Christmas in Whoville. And he just thinks that it shouldn't exist, and so he decides that he will go down and he will steal Christmas. He'll go down and take all the ornaments and the gifts and the food, including the roast beast, and he packs them all up. And so he does that, so that way there is no more Christmas. It's only Cindy Lou Who who catches him and offers him grace. He's brought all of this stuff up to his cave, and then on Christmas morning, he hears the singing. Even though he has stolen everything, Christmas is still happening, and he realizes it's not about the food, and it's not about the presents, and his heart grows. One of the things I always like is the sounds. I love the sounds in this show, the plink, plink, plink of the stockings coming off and, and the uh, ornaments being put into the, the bag. I love the singing, the different songs, the, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> and um, at the end, when they're all singing that word that I don't know, yeah, the song at the end, the high voices, I love all of that. I liked how the Grinch kind of would slither in around the tree. Let's watch the video. These stockings, the Grinch, are the first things to go. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present. Popguns, pampoongas, pantoufas and drums, checkerboards, bistledinks, popcorn and plums. Then he stuffed them in bags. Then the Grinch, very nimbly, stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimney. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the, um, seasick crocodile. The Grinch is so sneaky, so sneaky. And really, sneakiness is what Christmas is all about. Hear me out. <laughs> you may have noticed that I'm not really what you would call a rapture preacher. I don't ascribe to the idea that Jesus is coming back and we have to look busy uh, and that some will be taken up, those who have been nice and some will be left behind, those who are naughty. 
It plays right along into that Christmas, uh, Santa Claus, good are rewarded and bad are punished. I had a good friend who's now a pastor who grew up with that kind of a theology. One day when she was in elementary school, she came home from school and walked in the door. No one was there. And she knew it was the rapture and she had been left behind until she went out to the backyard and saw that everyone was there and it was okay. But you can see maybe why I'm not a rapture preacher. There's not a lot of grace in that. Now, we've talked about different texts before that we call apocalyptic texts, like Revelation and Daniel and um, some other prophets and spots in the gospel, all of these books that talk about the end times. The Bible Dictionary defines apocalyptic books as those that report mysterious revelations that are mediated by angels and disclose a supernatural world. They are characterized by a focus on eschatology theology, eschatology, which is the theology of end times, and often includes cosmic transformation and involves the judgment of the dead. Apocalyptic texts are sneaky because what they say isn't really what they're about. Here it is in simpler language by Nadia Bowles Weber. She says, apocalyptic texts were often code for speaking about the world the people at the time lived in. They were a way for people in politically dangerous situations to speak the truth about power. They were more commentary than prediction, and yes, Nadia writes, they are disturbing texts, but partly because they represent a genre which, which, with which we aren't that familiar. The first of our scriptures today from Matthew is an apocalyptic text. Matthew says, Jesus will come to us like a thief in the night. He's speaking to a Jewish audience, and he's telling them, as well as us, to be ready. Because we don't know when Jesus will come, but there is hope for us because he will come. So get going, get busy. How do we know when he'll come? We don't. And we don't like that not knowing, but friends, that's really what Advent is all about. It represents the time when God's people didn't know. For years and years, prophets told of a Messiah, of a Savior who would come to save the Hebrew people. And so they waited, not knowing when or who or how, but longing for the Messiah. Advent is a time of wondering and waiting and planning and not knowing. And the reality is, then and now, we can't fully plan for Jesus to come, but we can prepare. That's where the se second scripture that Delaney read uh, today comes in. It's the story of John the Baptist. Uh, you know John the Baptist. He is Jesus' cousin. You'll remember when Mary learns that she's pregnant with the Christ child, she goes and sees her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. And she is pregnant with John the Baptist. And, and when John, Baptist, John grows up, he goes out into the world and he proclaims, prepare the way of the Lord. One of the ways you do that is by baptism. And it is he who calls the people to be ready. He says, here's a, a version of the from the message, 
Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. Every ditch will be filled in, every bump smoothed out. The detours straightened out, all the ruts paved over. Everyone will be there to see the parade of God's salvation. What does that mean? We prepare for Jesus by making things better, smoothing out the roughness in the world, leveling out the valleys and the mountains. It's equality and justice and caring for others and working for equity and doing the work that eliminates poverty and leveling out the power disparities in the world and bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This is why we do more for others at Christmas, like sponsor a family through Christmas Connection or begin our Advent journey with a night of blessings and blessing others through our activities. By giving to charities and giving to the church and ringing bells for salvation, army, and we give to toys for tots and we Christmas carol in retirement communities. This is all the work of preparing for the Messiah to come and readying the world for Jesus. When we do these things, when we prepare in that way, Christ comes like a Grinch, a thief in the night. He comes to us when we aren't even aware, and he steals from us. He steals our pain and our fear and our uncertainty, our loneliness and hopelessness and anxiety and hunger and thirst and self-loathing. And even some other things, those things that we don't really maybe want him to steal, though we might not want to admit it. Those things like a desire for more, materialism, greed, thoughts of me first, unresolved anger, and a willingness to for- to, and an inability to forgive. Nadia Bowles-Weber again says, perhaps during Advent, a season with massive levels of consumption in which our credit card debts rise and our waistbands expand, the idea that Jesus wants to break in and sack some of our stuff is really good news. There's just a whole lot of junk in my house, literally and metaphorically, that I could do without. Christ comes to steal from us in order to save us from ourselves, from our culture, from our misconceptions about God and God's will, from the pain and the hurt that we feel and the false sense of self that we have. When the Hebrew people longed for a savior, they were longing to feel whole. They were longing for the brokenness to disappear and to live in peace and be free of the powers that imprisoned them. And when the Messiah came, They found that there was so much more that he brought, so much more than they ever knew that they needed. Advent, or Christmas, is a time for lists. I don't know about you, but right now I have this stack of different lists. I have the list of stuff for the open house, food for the open house. I have a grocery list. I have a list of cookies to bake. I have a list of uh, who to get, what to get for whom, and then I have all of their lists of the things that they actually want. Nadia suggests that we have a different kind of list, an Advent list, a list of what we want Christ to break in and take from us, things we want to do to make the world better. An Advent list is a list of hopes. 
and it's a list of intentions. I want you to think for a minute about what is on your list. What might you be called to do in order to prepare for the way of the Lord? What do you wish that Christ would steal from you? When we prepare ourselves in such a way, the work of preparing for Christmas becomes like second nature, and we'll find that we are caught off guard as Christ breaks in unexpectedly, stealing from us and filling us with love. And so as we begin this Advent journey, I invite you to make a list and prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.